want to talk to you about when sin's big head leaves you dead. We're talking all month long about when we fail together. We've talked about boasting, we've talked about bitterness, we've talked about blame, that it looks for another name. We've talked about all these things. Today we're going to talk about when sin's big head. Uh, you and I both know people probably who have fallen short of their calling or their potential or perhaps people who have surprised you and, and they, you looked like they had it all together. And sometimes, even in our own lives, sin, it doesn't make sense. I've looked at people's lives and like, man, it doesn't make sense why they're making the decisions they're making because sin is blind. It, it blinds us, it deceives us. And you, each of us, and my, me, myself, even the pastor, uh, any of us can get to a place where our actions or our words begin to contradict what we said that we lived for. Any of us, if we let it go long enough, can get to the place where we don't care who we hurt. We can destroy our own relationships and our family or church family. And that never began. We never started out on that journey. We didn't start out. Men don't start out wanting to be an abuser of their wife. But then they can say, but I love you, but I love you, but I love you. But their actions and their words never make the difference, never, never match. We, can never, we don't start out wanting to be addicted to things. But it's little choices come along and we can say, I want to stop and I love you and I love my family. We can still steal and lie and cheat to get the things that we want. And the inside there's this turmoil. And with our family there's this turmoil. And appearances can be deceiving. We can even deceive ourselves. I think sometimes in a moment... We become, we realize one day that we're two-faced. We, we know that we're projecting an image and on the inside we know that's really not who I am. We begin to feel justified in our lives. We come to that turning point and we begin to feel justified in our feelings and we begin to feel justified in our actions. And you know, and sin deceives and it even deceives the one doing it. It even can deceive the one doing it. I want to think, think about Lucifer. Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the one we know, right, from uh, Scripture. The Bible says he was an archangel in heaven and, and that one day something happened in his mind and he clicked and in spirit he said, I think I can be like God or even be better than God. And his own sin, knowing this holy of holies created him and could squash him like a bug at any moment, it deceived him, even himself. And then that sin even deceived, the Bible says, a third of the hosts of heaven that fell with him. That sin can deceive and it's easy to be deceived by a person who believes their own lies. You can easily be deceived by a person who believes their own lives. And we call that being big-headed today. We're talking about being big-headed. What does big-headed mean? Big-headed means this in the dictionary. It says exaggerated opinions of one's own importance. It means to be conceited or arrogant, to be boasting or cocky or self-important, proud or vain. And sin makes even the best of us big-headed. Sin makes everybody a narcissist. Sin makes everyone self-important. Sin makes everyone feel better than they think they are. For instance, maybe this has happened to you. You can feel willing to do whatever it takes to win an argument, even if it means hurting the person you're arguing with. Or maybe you've never had this happen. Probably no one in the room has ever had this happen before. But you can have family events at like Thanksgiving or Christmas and people, certain people in your family begin to argue and fight and they've ruined Thanksgiving and Christmas for everyone else. They don't even care. 
Y'all have no clue what I'm talking about, right? I mean, your families are perfect, right? I mean, you can have a birthday party and the drama that leads into that birthday party, and they don't even care that the kids are now not having a birthday party because we didn't so wanted to be right and boast in our own opinions and make everybody know that so-and-so didn't get invited and I should have brought the cake and whatever it is, we can get a big head and deceive ourselves and not care about the people we injure. You can win and win wrong. Did you know that? You can win and still lose. And don't be deceived is that God never divides a family and he never divides a church family. James chapter 3 says it this way, verse 14 says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and be false to the truth, as in don't make your own truth up. This isn't the wisdom that comes down from above. It's, this is earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and vile practice. Even the, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's, in, it's sincere. And in that wisdom, it says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I want to talk to you today about this one thing, is that sin's big head leaves you dead. I'm going to be able to play on words with the word leaves because we're going to talk about trees here in a second. But sin's big head leaves you dead. Our question today is, who are we lifting above ourselves? Who are we lifting above ourselves? Is there anyone we're living to impress? Do we value people more than praise? And have we unknowingly bought into some little truth that we made our own truth? Is there anything in our life, even small things, that if not dealt with today, like dental work, right? Sometimes they go in there and they say, you've got a little cavity. If we don't deal with it today, it's going to become something later. I think that's today is one of those moments. Is there any little things we need to deal with today so they don't become big things tomorrow? Somebody say, amen. Second Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. Let me give you the background. We're going to talk about the story of Absalom today. Absalom is the third son of King David. And 2 Samuel chapter 14 says that Absalom was perfect from head to toe, ladies. He didn't even have a mole out of place. He was perfect from head to toe, and he looked like the kingly part. Man, everybody looked at Absalom and said, that dude is going somewhere. He's got charisma. Everybody likes him. The ladies like him. He's the captain of the football team. Man, he has got potential coming out of his ears. He is the man. And Absalom even got to a place in his life where he allowed that to begin to get to his head. He allowed his hair to grow, and he had locks, loving locks. He had these long dreads, and every year he began to let it grow and grow, and people were like, oh, Absalom, your hair is so wonderful. Can I touch it? And they were just all about Absalom's hair, so much so he let it go all year long until the very end of the year he would cut it just because the weight of the hair got so heavy he had to cut it. So he had these thick hair, and everybody loved his hair, and the ladies wanted to touch his hair. And, and, and one day, though, one day a family crisis happened, like often does in families. And there was some family drama, and his oldest half-brother ended up uh, assaulting sexually his younger, his, younger his younger sister. His oldest brother, Amnon, raped his sister, Tamar, and there was this issue, man, it didn't go, it went horribly, and it was awful, and, and his dad, David, didn't, he was angry, but he didn't know how to deal with it, and he didn't, and sometimes that happens. He didn't deal with it, so what happens is Am, uh, Absalom begins to go on with his life, and for two years will go by, Absalom will plot, and eventually one day he throws a party in front of all of his brothers, 
kills and has his oldest brother Amnon killed at the party. So Absalom flees the country. For three years he goes and lives with his mama's daddy, uh, the king of uh, uh, Geshur. He goes and lives outside the country for three years, outcast. And finally, uh, David is longing for his son. Joab, the general, sees it and says, hey, uh, let me try to convince you. He gets a lady to tell a story in front of David and kind of basically convince him that he should bring his son home. So he says, fine, go get my son. But yet, I can't see him. I'm not ready to deal with this yet. So for two years... Three years gone out of country, two years he comes in country, Absalom can't see his father. He can't come to family birthday parties. He can't come to worship service with them. He can't come into the palace. He's an outcast in his own family for two years. And it begins to work on him and work on him and work on him. And finally, him and his dad finally make amends. Him and his dad kiss and make up. But yet, it's still something that started growing has now taken Root. Look in 2 Samuel 15, verse 1. Now it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself. Everybody say, for himself. Who? For himself. Who provided? He provided. For who? For himself. A chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And when a man had suit to come in for the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him. Hey, hey, from what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from the tribes of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, see, you know, your claims are good and right, but nobody, no, no man's listening to you. I'm part of the king. And more Absalom would say, you know, oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has a suit could come and to me and I would give him justice. And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he'd put out his hand, he'd take hold of him, he'd kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom dealt with all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. The Bible says he even began to build a monument for himself in the valley of the kings, where the kings would build their legacy. He began to build his own monument in the valley of the kings, and his brothers are riding mules, but Absalom is riding a horse with chariot and 50 horsemen. He looks the part of the king. He acts the part of the king. Everybody assumes he should be king, and so finally one day it gets to him, and he calls his daddy and says, Daddy, I want to have a worship service, and we're going to have a church, man. We're going to have awesome. We're going to have a prayer meeting. In that prayer meeting, he began to plot, and he said, I got a plan. I'm going to take over my daddy's throne. He tells everybody there, we're just having a party. He tells everybody in the outlying countries to shout that I've become king when you hear the trumpet. Nobody in the party is the wiser. They have no clue what's going on. The people on the outside begin to scheme and plot and spread the conspiracy. And that day, man, it comes, there's a shout, and everybody just assumes, man, that party is his coronation crowning service. And before you know it, the whole country believes Absalom's been crowned king. David hears of this great conspiracy, takes his palace and his guards and his elite soldiers, the mighty men and some other mercenaries that he'd had, and they left the palace mourning and weeping with their heads down. And David flees to the other side of the river, and they regroup, and he tells his elite soldiers, hey, I know we have to fight him, but if possible, spare his life. He's my son. Look in 2 Samuel 18, verse 6. 2 Samuel 18, verse 6. Then David's army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. The people of Israel were defeated there before the servants of David, and the slaughter there that day was great. 20,000 men for the battle there was spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest even devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Now Absalom happened to meet the servants of David, for Absalom was riding on his what? His mule. 
And the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him kept going. David's general hears about it. He's not the greatest guy. He goes over, he kills the king's son, stabs him through the heart uh, with three times, and then his servants come and kill him. They take Absalom's body, they throw it in a ditch and pile stones over it. And this prince has totally fallen. David begins to weep so much so that the soldiers think, man, we really didn't win at all. This is like a funeral, this victory. Why? Because sin's big head leaves you dead. I'll tell you three things this morning that applies to us. Number one is that sometimes things can go from your head to your heart. Sometimes things can go from your head to your heart. You know, it only, it began with little things. It was little things. People loved Absalom and, and he was David's favorite son. He's charismatic. He looked like the king. He looks perfect. But guess what? Appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. And what happened was at the very beginning, there becomes this root. Just like his hair had roots, it began to grow. This root of boasting began to go. Absalom didn't choose to be good looking, but he had a choice of what he dealt with, the praise of men. And he allowed it to take root. You can be good at something, but let it go to your head. You can have talent and charisma and everything, and you can let that go straight to your head, that you're the best at this, you're the best at that. Everybody says this about you. And slowly this pride took root, and just like his hair began to grow, so did his vanity, so did that secret sin, so did his self-admiration. He had a root of boasting. And then that root of boasting became something else in his teenage years probably. He began to live to impress, live to impress. Maybe he began to live to impress people, and, and he realized, man, this is really feeds me. This pleases myself. I like living to impress. So you know what? People like, I think I got good hair. Let me let that hair grow all year long. And people really, man, they're going to really give me all kinds of attention. They're, they're going to really love my hair and begin to live to please himself instead of pleasing God. And that head issue, those wonderful locks, became a heart issue. Became a heart issue. You know God's not impressed with your charisma. He's not impressed with your ability. He's not impressed with your looks. And in the selfie culture we live in today, man, vanity, vanity, vanity. Man, we are all about how many likes did I get? And even if you're not a prideful person, there's some part of you, because I know it for myself, there's some part of you, I posted that, nobody liked it. Nobody saw that post. It was so funny. I can't believe nobody liked that post. Man, they should have seen that cat doing cartwheels. Nobody cared that I posted that. And you begin to just... I guess nobody likes me. I guess nobody loves me. And there's some part of you that they even say today, uh, we talk about in our youth ministry, that a like is like equal to a hug. Isn't that right, Pastor Christian? That the endorphins that come out in your body, even when you get a like on Facebook, it's like getting a warm hug today. Those of you who have frozen kids, right? They get a warm hug. They live to build up ourselves in our culture. We, we're in an independent country, man. We build ourselves up on our own bootstraps. Man, I make my own man. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I don't need a man. I don't need a woman. I can be who I want to be. And we begin to build ourselves up and begin to think something of ourselves. And we can let it go from our head to our heart. Romans says, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Think is to have sound judgment, for God has allotted each a measure of faith. And it all began with little 
things. That's what I want to emphasize this morning. It began with something seemingly innocent. It began with things that were done to him as a child, and they begin to take root. And there are things that you and I and our children and our childhood, maybe it was positive things that you are awesome, you are great, and we can let that go to our head. But there are sometimes we grew up and said, You're nothing, kid. You're never going to be anything. And it can go both ways. We can take these things and they can take root and affect how we make decisions and relationships into the future. I can have a negative thought pattern the same way and think, man, I'll never do anything. I'm never going to be nothing. Man, I, I always fail. Or, I mean, I need this relationship. Man, I might need, maybe I need these people in my life. I need this, this thing in my life. I want this. I need this. Because little things begin to take root. If they're not dealt with, begin to tangle us with a growing weight. What in your life do you think God is really impressed with? We think God looks at your life and is impressed with. He went from his head to a heart and then it became a growing weight. The first is that sin began to grow and began to tangle. And each year, he'd allowed his hair to grow until the weight was too heavy. But here's one thing he didn't cut off. This family crisis and tragedy happened in his life and he began to let that thing grow and fester. Man, my brother, my brother, my brother, I can't stand my brother. Bitterness for my brother, hatred for my brother, anger for my brother, murder for my brother. And every year he would cut his hair. The Bible says that every one year he cut his hair, but it says for two years he allowed the hatred of his brother to grow. See, he never cut it. He never cut it out. When it got too heavy, he just let it keep growing. While he was cutting his hair, he was probably thinking, I can't stand my brother. And you know, I like short hair, and anytime my hair starts touching my ears, I tell my wife, she cuts my hair, that you've got to, I need you to cut my hair. If it touches my hair, I'm like, it's always there. It's like this annoying thing. Or if you have, ladies, you have bangs, and it's like you can't see driving to work. You have to part your bangs so you can drive. I mean, like, there are times it's like, it's always there in front of my face. And every day he got up, it's like, my brother's in front of my face. I saw him on Facebook. I saw him at Walmart. I mean, my mom wants me to talk to him. And every day, it was there until the weight got too heavy. Too heavy. He never cut it off. Not only that, sin got too heavy and tangled, but it also began to mask. And he, he began to plot a party. I don't know if you've ever plotted a birthday party before, but he plotted a party. And in a real sense, it was a masquerade party. Nobody was wearing masks but him. He comes to his brother and he says, hey, come over, brother. We're okay. We're cool. I don't have any ill will for you. And then he begins to literally stab him in the back. Anybody ever done that to you before? He plotted a party. It was a masquerade. It was a pretend party. And the only person wearing a mask was him. He was two-faced. Let me be clear that sin tries to put on the best face. To your coworkers, you can be one person. To your spouse, you can be one person. To your kids, one person. To your church family, you can be one person. Because sin likes masks. But guess what? That mask begins to master you. That mask begins to master you. You find some people that tell lies after lies after lies, and they further along, they don't know which one they told the lie to who. And you're like, I don't know which mask I should be wearing right now. You get caught up in it. It begins to master you. Remember what the Bible says in John? Most assuredly, I said to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. So sin began to grow and get tangled and weigh down. Sin began to mask, and then sin began to justify. Note the growing progression here. It begins to grow. It begins to deceive. And sin always justifies more sin. He probably thought something like this. My daddy should have dealt with this a long time ago, and I'm just doing what my daddy should have done. 
I'm just going to go to work and do what my boss should have done. Man, that employee, they're horrible, and I'm going to treat them like they deserve. Or, man, I'm going to under, undercut my family because they deserve it anyway. They, they, they don't even care. I mean, you begin to justify everything you do. You begin to sin just says, man, I deserve this. This is justifying of what I'm doing, how I'm acting, how I'm feeling. My spouse doesn't love me, so I can talk to whoever I want to talk to. I don't, then no one cares for me, so I can justify my actions to go take that hit or take that thing or take another drink or do this or do that. Get online and look at this. I'm justified. Sin justifies more sin. Remember what Romans says? Man, if your enemy's hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And do, so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, a reminder today is that sin deceives and hardens your heart to the point that every person, any person, can have evil and unbelieving hearts, Hebrews says. No one is exempt from this, myself included. Anything not cut. Sometimes we need a haircut. Sometimes we need a little trim, a little pruning. Say, God, what is growing? What am I justifying? What needs to be cut off today? Because otherwise there's going to be a tragedy. And I like it. It's tree agity. Tragedy. He's a tree agity. This is a tragedy moment on a tree. And there's this moment. Look what happens here. And for me, I like Star Wars. So for me, this is like the Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader moment where this chosen son who everybody put their hope into turns to the dark side. And how could you? You were the chosen one. He says, I hate you. I don't know if you know anything about that or not. But anyhow, that's this moment. It's like you were the dude, man. You were the king. You had everything going for you. You were the next in line. His boasting grew to bitterness. And his bitterness grew to blame. Even though my dad kissed him and made up with him, he should have dealt with this further. If he would have done this, and she have done this, and he should have done that, and I wouldn't be in this place, and he sent me out, and he didn't let me come for two years. And, and I, even though I, you ever had someone tell you that they're sorry, and you're sorry, and then they keep hating you for months on out, it grew. The first thing he did, and as it began to manifest itself, sin's ugly head, the first is he broke boundaries. He broke boundaries with his own father. He continued to build himself up. He built a monument in the Valley of Kings. He had horses and teams of servants. He put himself in the position as if he was king before the Lord had ever exalted him to that place. He broke the, the boundaries of his father. And the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty, haughty spirit before stumbling. He broke boundaries in his relationships. He began to break relationship boundaries, to begin to do things he shouldn't do and exalt himself above his position. Number two, he began to use fake flattery. He went to the gate and wedged himself in between his father and the people. You ever had people do that in your relationship? Your in-laws or so and sister or cousin, somebody begins to wedge a relationship between you and some other of your other family members and begin to play both sides and you find out later down the road that they were lying to one and telling this one this story and you realize they were undercutting you the whole time and, and he's doing that. He's using fake flattery to win over the people, to get between the boss and the employees. You don't want to listen to that boss. He's horrible. You don't know. Just come to me. I'll help your problem. You ever had a employee do that? Or, or, well, don't listen to the pastor or that small group leader or that church person. Man, just call me. Till the first service, there was a time in our ministry uh, in Missouri where a, a couple had come in, a new couple had come into our, our young adult ministry. And I knew right off the bat there was something not right in the worship service. They didn't participate and they looked at each other. And during the prayer times, they were talking. And, but here's what I found out that the devil began to use this wedge. 
And every time we had a new person join our ministry, guess what, who was the first person to invite them over to their house? Every time a new person joined the church, they were right there, sucking them in, and begin to take them out to dinner, take them out to dinner and, and invite them over and say, well, we ought to start our own group. We ought to start our own little ministry. And we begin to have church ministry and church outreaches, and we'd find out that, why weren't all these people at this event? Well, they were at so-and-so's house the very night our church was having an event. Sometimes sin wedges and wants to conceive and birth death and divide and be sure, don't be deceived. God never divides families and he never divides church families. And lastly, he used religion to mask the real him. He brought God into his own lie. Oh, we're having a worship service, but this time his masquerade party became a mutiny. You know, you can be so blind by sin, you can quote scripture, you can go to worship service and still serve sin. Ask fallen pastors. So you were just preaching last Sunday. How come now we find out you were in this horrible affair and your ministry's crumbled? Because you can be so blind to sin and it deceives even the elect, it says in the last days. There will be those even in the elect who'll be deceived by the corruption and the blindness of sin because they didn't get a haircut in time. He used religion to mask the real him. Began to say, I deserve this. Don't you think God wants me to be happy? I can do it better than them. But sin's big head leaves you dead. Look what happens. This small root, little thing became a forest. We find ourselves now in the forest of Ephraim. Ephraim's forest is so thick and binding. It's like the mangroves in Louisiana, right? It's thick. You can't hardly do battle in there. And guess what? Life got real, 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 real quick. He couldn't bring his chariot of horses in there. He couldn't bring the army of boasting of all the things that he had running before him. What did he have to do? He had to get on the same plane as everybody else. And life showed up and woke him up that day. We find him in a mule in the thickness of a battle. And people should have told, they try to tell him, hey, dude, I know you think you're all that, but your daddy is kind of the man. This is like the, the dude that killed a giant when he was like a boy, right? And he's got some mighty men with him. And one of these dudes like killed 900 people with a spear by himself. These guys may be old, but they still legit. I mean, these people will whoop up on you. And so he says, well, I'm just gonna go get all the armies of Israel and we're gonna go take my daddy out. See the blindness and stupidity of sin? But when it really catches up with him, it really catches him. He's now not on his show horse. We find him on a mule fleeing from the battle. And that hair that was once the root of his boasting becomes his own undoing. And like his hair, that sin had him all tangled up. And that sin that tangled him up now tangled him up in the tree. And sin's big head didn't fit through those branches. And that tree, it killed him. And it was a cursed death. The Bible says that that monument that he had put to himself in the Valley of the Kings then became a lifelong legacy monument that children for generations would go out there and throw stones at it, knowing what sin, how it divides a family, how it divides a country, how this one young boy's conspiracy against his father called civil war to an entire nation. And that day when he died, David began to weep. And the soldiers said, this is like a funeral. Why? It was a hollow victory. Because you don't sin alone. You can have moments in your life, like right now, we could have secret things we're thinking, feeling, I'm justified in this, God wants me to do this, God wants me to be happy. 
And never see down the road that, man, this is going to divide your marriage. It's going to divide you and your kids. It's going to divide your family. It may even affect your church family. Absalom wasn't thinking all that. He was just thinking right now, me, 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 what I want, what I need, what's, what's going to make me feel good today. In contrast, his father David had this humility like King Jesus. He would even sit at the table with a Judas, let a Judas betray him. He'd walk willingly out of the palace because he knew, I don't want to destroy this palace or God's ark or the temple that was going to be built, the, the tabernacle. He said, when God wants me to bring me back, he'll bring me back. Because why? It's, he knew, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about him. Thy will be done. When we fail, we fail together. I really want to just end with this and say, don't be deceived. God knows the real you. I don't have to know the real you. God knows. God knows who you are behind Facebook in your own closet, in your own thoughts, and driving in your own car. He knows what you think, what you feel. He knows you. And David wept that day. I think he wept because he knew his son had died and gone to hell. And he loved him even to the end. I think that day he thought, man, if I could have just taken my little baby boy in my arms, I would have, I made him, he's my royalty. He's my prized possession. The same thing is true for you and for me today. Guess what? You are children of the king. God has plans for you. He has position. He has power. He has privilege for you. He wants great things for you. But do not be deceived. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. It's in due time he's going to do that. Humble yourselves up and down before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He's the one that's going to do that. And he had great plans for his son in the right time, in the right way, in the right means, and under his authority. And he loved his son to the point of great weeping. I wonder, God up in heaven, weeping over many lost believers who don't know they should have gotten that haircut earlier. They should have let that thing be killed earlier. That thing that began to root and grow and tangle and weigh and divide and conspire and weigh so much that they had to do something and they were blind to their own thing. But it was too Late. Sin can kill you. What is it you need to cut away today? What is it that I need to cut away today? Little things. Things even from our childhood that have caused things to grow and to grow and to grow. God loves you. Man, he wants great things for you. We say, Lord, it's not about me. It's all about you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Worship team, would you come? What is the things? Is there a feeling, an emotion, a desire, a want that God says, son, would you just let that be cut away? Daughter, would you cut that away before it's too late, before that thing takes hold, before it grows? Maybe there this morning, there's things that begin to grow in your life. You've caught yourself up in things and, and you've gotten to a place you really don't want to be and you're taking inventory this morning and say, God, I'm coming back to you. David wanted his son. He said, even soldiers, even if you get to that place, please spare his life if, it's, if you can. He's weeping and calling you home to himself and saying, I want my son with me. I want my son to be my royalty. I want him to be my image. I want him to give me my power and my authority. He's a child of mine. I love him. God loves you. 
He's calling you to Himself. He wants intimate relationship with you. He wants to give you power and position and privilege, but in the right way, under His authority. What things have caused you to step out of bounds in your heart? Things you need to feel that you've been saying, I'm justified in feeling, I'm justified in doing. Maybe things from your childhood, things said about you, you need to cut that away. That's not what your daddy says about you. That's not what your father in heaven says about you. What does God want to do in your life today? Man, he loves you. I just want to, I want you to just feel the drawing love of God this morning. And he's saying, do not be deceived. Sin will kill you. It will kill you. It will ruin you. It will ruin your life, your position in His palace, in His kingdom. It will ruin your family and your relationships. It will ruin your church family. Do not be deceived. Deal with it right now. Right now. God wants to restore you. He wants to bless you. You're here today and say, Pastor, I need to get that relationship back on track with the Lord. I need to come back into my Father's loving arms. And maybe there's been things that are just pulling you away. You're too busy. Your little feelings, little emotions, little behaviors. Say, I'm, I'm just, I need to come back to my dad today. I need to just restore that relationship with him. Maybe you need to do it for the first time. Maybe you're not a child of God. You need to repent and turn from your way of living and thinking and doing and turn to his way. You can do that. Or you just say, Pastor, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm God's kid. But me and my dad have not been in a good place. And I need to, I need to have that relationship renewed. Anybody here that you just lift your hand up?